Hello and welcome to this special COVID-19 edition of our Royal Pharmaceutical Society podcast, Farm Side Today. Now, for those of you who have listened to this podcast previously, you'll be aware that our uh, chief scientist, Gino Martini, is usually the one asking the questions. Uh, but this time we've flipped things around a little bit. I'm Robbie Turner. I'm director of pharmacy at the Royal Pharmaceutical Society. And I've been involved in, in uh, directing some of our response to COVID-19. But I particularly wanted to take the opportunity during this podcast uh, to quiz our chief, uh, chief scientist, Gino, on some of the developments around the science of COVID-19, particularly some of the social media reports we've seen about uh, treatments uh, that could possibly be used for COVID-19. And we know from speaking to uh, pharmacists and their teams that this is a question that they're getting asked a lot. So, Gino, hello. Oh, hello, Robbie, and, and good morning to you. And uh, it feels a bit strange being on the other end, but hey-ho, I'm it enjoying does, it already. Uh, yeah, it does feel <laughs> strange, you can imagine. So, so, first of all, you know, there's been lots of noise around the use of, uh, well, a whole range of medicines on social media. We've even had President Trump uh, tweeting about some miraculous uh, treatment for COVID-19. So, is it true that we've got a, a miracle cure for COVID-19? Okay, well, to date, there has been no proven treatment for COVID-19, okay? That's the reality of the situation. Um, uh, the, the treatment for COVID-19 uh, for patients who are suffering from that disease is actually supportive care. That's where we are right now. However, since January 2020, there have been over 30 clinical trials which, which have been initiated to try and find or hunt for a, a treatment for COVID-19. So that, that's where we are. What's happening right now, uh, what we picked up in the social media, is because you can imagine the situation. We have doctors in the heat of battle who've got patients who are uh, moving from a mild illness to pneumonia to acute respiratory disorder who are on ventilators. And they're, they're, they're trying their best to think of what can we treat these people with? So what we've seen uh, has been a large number of patients being treated off-label or compassionate use. So a medicine that's been designed to treat one disease has, been, has now been used to try and treat COVID-19. That, that's what we're seeing. So of course, naturally, drugs which are antivirals in nature, some old drugs and some new drugs, for example, uh, have, been, have been tested, uh, particularly in China uh, and, now, and now in the United States, as well as some older drugs which have shown to have some promise in vitro, like chloroquine, hydroxychloroquine. And so they've also been used as well. But, but the problem is, what's happened is that these have been tested, like I said, in heat of battle, patients are deteriorating, but there's been no robust controls. So the problem, therefore, is you don't know if the drug is working. So is that patient recovering because they're recovering, or is that patient recovering because the drug's actually working? If that makes sense, okay? It does. Now, Just before you go on further, Gene, I think uh, let, let's at this point. So I, I think what I'm hearing there is that some of the news has perhaps been a bit premature around around these treatments. So so let's let's cut to the chase for pharmacists uh, and their teams who are listening to this podcast. Should they be recommending, or should they be? Oh, sorry, that's my phone. Um, should they be recommending, or should they be dispensing? Uh, prescriptions for any of these treatments currently outside of clinical trials? Absolutely not. And, 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 and so the answer is no. And, and the reason for that, Robbie, uh, is say if we take, for example, chloroquine, hydroxychloroquine, the therapeutic index is very narrow. So 
That is, the dose between being effective in, say, for malaria, which is what these drugs are used for, to a toxic dose is very narrow. And already we're seeing issues of toxicity and poisonings in, in America and in Nigeria where people are trying to self-medicate. So the answer is no, because these drugs are actually quite potent and do have some nasty side effects, uh, like uh, prolongation of, of your QT uh, with your, with, with, within your heart. And since COVID-19 can actually give affect your heart, it's not a good idea. So it needs to be done properly under medical supervision. So the answer is no. Okay, that's really clear. Thank you. Because I think if we start with that message, that is the takeaway message. And then we can move on to perhaps a bit more detail about perhaps what the future may, may bring us. So could you tell us what type of medicines uh, 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 researchers are looking at at the moment? Yeah, I can. I, I mean, so let me let me go back to, to to those things like chloroquine. So researchers are looking at that again. They're looking. They're redoing all the trials again. Uh, so that's happening in China. It's happening in France. So, but now with proper robust controls. Okay. So we can actually see, you know, if this thing's actually working the way the way we think we're working. Um, obviously, there's a big emphasis on antivirals. The one of promise at the moment is is remdesivir, uh, which is from Gilead, and that was actually developed uh, about 2014 for Ebola. And that's now clinically, uh, excuse me, currently in clinical trials. So that that's there's a lot of hope about that drug being being quite effective. And then there's another combination, lipofenavir and ritonavir, which was developed uh, for treating HIV in 2000. Uh, and again, clinical trials are up, uh, up and running in, in that arena. Unfortunately, data to date has not been great. Uh, in fact, uh, have, not, have not shown promise, but they are actively looking uh, at that at that combination. And then if we do talk about chloroquine, hydroxychloroquine, I can say a lot of studies are ongoing right now and very quick. I mean, I'm hearing trials are being done in, in two, three weeks. And so we're keeping a watching eye on that. But like I said before, uh, this should not be used. Um, so they're, they're the two main areas that other people are looking at. And of course, vaccines, Robbie, is the one that people are really looking uh, towards. They reckon it could take between one to 1.5 years to develop. Wow. Now, and that's a long time, but I'm hoping that can be shortened uh, by uh, using regu regulatory flexibility. Now, the coronavirus itself is called the coronavirus because if you look under a microscope, you see projections. They look like spikes. They look like uh, uh, points of a crown. And those spikes or spike proteins are the ones which actually latch into the cell and cause invasion and replication. They're hoping that from those spike uh, proteins, they can get they can find a viable antigen and that viral antigen will, will be a reproducible way of stimulating your body's defense system against COVID-19. And that's where a bulk of the uh, focus is right now. And I can tell you on March the 16th, a phase one clinical trial began in the United States uh, to investigate uh, an, an RNA vaccine to try and combat COVID-19 using this approach and have started to roll with patients as we speak. So Jeannie, you've, men you've mentioned quite a lot there about vaccines. We'll come back to vaccines, I'm sure, but there's been lots of uh, stories in the media, some questions around if you've had COVID-19, what are the chances of you getting reinfected? So I think, you know, people have called it herd immunity in the past or just immunity. Uh, what are your views on that? Well, if you've had COVID-19, we we think, and it is we think, that the chances of you getting reinfected again are, are, are minimal, but it's not certain, okay? So we need to be really careful about that. So the chance of you getting again, it's supposed to be uh, small, but we don't really know about much about this virus. So that's why there's a bit of hesitation in my reply to you. And the idea about herd immunity is the more people who have 
uh, immunity, basically the virus burns out. I, it can't be conveyed from person to person. And if you think about it, if you looked at the situation we had with measles recently, when uh, we dropped below 90% uh, immunization across the population, measles started to come back in again. So you need a large number of people to have had exposure to the virus so that they get immunity, so that the virus burns out, it can't be tran uh, tran transmitted to person to person. That's the idea between herd immunity. And, 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 and just taking you back to the vaccines, the, the ideal uh, situation, I assume, is actually we gain that immunity not through people catching COVID-19, but through yeah. this, the, the vaccine that you're saying is being, you know, uh, uh, investigated at the moment. Yeah, that's right. I mean, once they find a viable antigen, basically a dilute form of, of the virus, which they can safely inoculate into people. So we can just stimulate, just give our immune system a bit of a, a, bit, of a bit of a turbocharge if it if and when it comes into contact with COVID-19, that's the way to go. One thing I will say is, in all my years of industry, I've never seen such a concerted effort across all nations and pharma companies and research industries to try and find a vaccine, try and find a cure. It's been incredible the way things have been turned around in the last uh, couple of weeks. Protocols which normally take three months to sign off have been done in a day. Clinical trials have been turned around in three, four weeks. It's amazing. And I feel that we could shave off at least six months from that time frame I suggested. Uh, I hope we can. And I think we can. And I think we will find a vaccine. Great. OK. And, and, and just obviously we're talking here about treatments and we've talked about, you know, uh, repurposing existing drugs and also development of a vaccine. But there has been, you know, quite a few stories about things that supposedly according to you know what we see on social media or even in the media things that make you more susceptible and there's been particular focus on ace inhibitors and ibuprofen mm -hmm. i just wondered you know what was the evidence uh, the actual evidence around around those two classes of drugs i think the uh, ace inhibitor um, stories come from the fact that there's a belief that covid-19 does bind to the uh, angiotensin converting enzyme in the body. So, of course, ACE, the ACE inhibitor uh, acts on that as well. Today, there's been no conclusive evidence either all. In fact, I use an ACE inhibitor because I have slightly high blood pressure uh, and I still take it. And also the bit about uh, ibuprofen, again, any evidence about it being able to impair the immune system response, again, has been in inconclusive. So I think the recommendations we're saying to people is, you know, if you're taking medications for a chronic condition uh, under medical supervision, don't stop taking it and obviously seek advice if you are if you are concerned. But at the moment, they've been inconclusive. But one of my roles uh, at the RPS is to monitor the evidence and any latest research findings. And if we find that there have been changes, we will adapt our guidance accordingly. But at the moment, it's inconclusive. So advice to patients is don't stop uh, your medication unless you've consulted with your, with your GP. Okay. Your uh, and for those people considering taking ibuprofen for the actual symptoms of COVID-19, the advice is, is a little bit different, isn't it? Good question, Robbie. So at the moment, there is no conclusive evidence about the impact of ibuprofen with, with the coronavirus. Uh, and so people who are taking ibuprofen for a chronic condition under medical supervision should not stop taking ibuprofen unless they've consulted with their with, with, with their doctor, uh, their GP. However, if a patient believes they have COVID-19 or has been diagnosed COVID-19, then the current recommendation from MHRA is that the, the patient should be taking paracetamol. 
So, Gina, thanks for that. I think what, what you've described to us today is a really fast-paced, changing landscape, and it's really good that we've got you at the RPS uh, keeping an eye on that for us. So we're all uh, really grateful, and that really impacts and improves the support that we can give to the profession and pharmacy team. So a, a huge thank you for us all at the RPS. I'd just like to say a, a huge thank you to all of the healthcare professionals out there, uh, the pharmacists, pharmacy teams, who are really going above and beyond anything that anybody could have expected for them. So from everybody at the RPS, you're, you're really making us proud. And if there's anything more we can do to support you, please do get in touch with us here. But from myself, Robbie, and from Gino, uh, goodbye for now.